Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Here's one of the interviews from the stage of Code Commerce 2017 in New York City. If you like it, please leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. So the thing I love about this conversation is we have a, a brand and a retailer that has built a business on both wholesale and direct-to-consumer, and then a brand and retailer that has built a band up till now exclusively direct-to-consumer. So, um, Andrew, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, you not only have founded and run Theory for 20 years, but you also advise a bunch of young companies in the space. I'm wondering how you think about that dynamic today in 2017, wholesale, direct-to-consumer, in apparel, and the importance of both sides, if there, if there is importance on both you know, sides. You know, I don't think there's any set formula about what you can or can't do. I think it sort of depends on uh, the philosophy of the founder, the visionary of the business, and the resources that they have. Um, I tend to like to um, start my business on a wholesale basis and then evolve into retail. Um, the amount of money that one has to invest to do that is less. Um, the ability to get right your product and your merchandising and so on, um, so that when you ultimately go to, directly to the consumer, you've figured it out. I think there are a lot of advantages to that. Um, I think you can own more of the company starting out as a wholesale business than you can starting out direct-to-consumer. Because when you start out direct-to-consumer, it's an expensive way to go, and generally you have to take an investment and so on. So I don't think one way is better than the other. I think it basically depends on the philosophy and vision of the, of, of the founder. I would assume, Yale, you know, the flip side is you get to know your customer in an intimate way right away if you're starting direct-to-consumer. What, what, was, what was the reasoning for starting the way you did? Um, she was in the other business. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I you, was in the other business and... Um, in, a in a past business? I was in wholesale in my last business and um, I would say for my personality it felt very difficult to be successful what? past a certain point. Why, why is that? Is it too much dependence on, on the retailer? Um, I think um, why wholesale felt difficult for me was um, the long lead times. So in order, um, you have to sort of forecast what your products are going to be 12 months in advance, and that felt very difficult if you don't have a, you know, a fashion genius working for you that can predict. And so then you have like a lot of inventory, and that's a, that's a definite pain point. And so what ends up happening is, is you have a lot of inventory, and then you have to have a promotional strategy, which is why we see a lot of things going on sale. So when you started Reformation, your, your idea was on the distribution side. Was it mainly about um, building connection directly with consumer? Was it about just the bad wholesale experience? I think it was two things. For me it was, I was really intrigued with fast fashion. I love the idea of um, you know, test and iterate when it comes to fashion. So I love the idea of saying, putting out some products, seeing how they do, and then immediately making new products based on that information. So shortening that, that learning curve was really critical to me. Um, and then the second thing, yeah, and then, and then, you know, I guess it rolls into it because access to that information, you know, as soon as I put products up on the site or in the stores, immediately, you know, within a few minutes, we start to get a read on how those products are performing and it enables us to do this sort of test and iterate with fashion. 
So what does that timeline look like for you since between getting feedback and then making changes and then having something in the customer's hands? So right now we're able from like design to in the store, it's online, it's 42 days. So, so we can um, design something, it's in the store 42 days later, and then we begin reorders within 24 hours of something going online. So if we'll put a product online and as it begins to sell really well, the next morning there's a reorder issued. Got it. And then we're also designing into those ideas. And Andrew, are you? I could do it in 41. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's more of an answer there. No, I think speed is something that, that we all need to, to, to understand as a way of the future. And I'm, in my company, is trying to simplify the methodology and the processes by which we operate, set up pod systems so people are working together simultaneously, different departments, no silos, um, things happening simultaneously. The other thing that's critically important, which Yale mentioned, is no different in what we're trying to do, knowing your consumer and putting it, the consumer more in, 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 in the vision of everything that you're doing. I, I think sometimes as brands, um, the brand vision becomes more important than the consumer. And one of the things I'm really focusing on um, is the, the, the consumer's needs, exciting the consumer, what the, you know, more that direction than just what's good for the brand. And how are, are you doing that through the Arizona website, or you do you have hundreds of stores? Are you doing uh, that? I mean, at Theory, I have a, a, a multiple channels of di distribution: wholesale, retail, our own e-commerce, uh, third-party e-commerce, um, U.S., Europe, Asia, Japan. You know, so we have a very diversified global business, very diversified platform. So we have many different touch points with the consumer, trying to line them all up to have a specific message is the key. So one of, the, one of uh, a couple of your newer channels that you sell through, one is Amazon, which I believe you've been, uh, the Theory brand has been on, I think for a couple of years now. The other newer one is Stitch Fix. Which you know, I am, uh, I'm not afraid of experimenting with things and um, getting to know Amazon and getting to know what they do and so on has been an interesting experience. Even more interesting is Stitch Fix. And uh, I think that, you know, as uh, you have to be open-minded and um, these guys want a partner. Um, and as long as you have the right relationship and partnership together, um, I think that us experimenting with new methodologies and, and new companies is important. I mean, I just found that to be something that I subscribe to. Got it. And then, uh, yeah, I'm curious for you also, um, you know, talking a bit beforehand, and I asked about Amazon, and, you know, it's still, Amazon's big in apparel broadly, but a lot of that is basics. Can it, do you look, look at it as a place that can be a home for fashion? I mean, I know theory's on there, but um, I'm curious what you think about with your brand and... and for Amazon? Yeah, and, you know. I mean, like... I'm not going to put anything past Amazon, right? <laughs> I mean, if Amazon wants to, wants to do it, of course they can do it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that, I think fashion is, a, is, you know, sort of looks good to them, but I, I don't think they're really yet serious about it. Yeah. yeah. 
think and groceries is the move for them right grocery, now. Grocery, well, yeah, Whole Foods. <laughs> but, you know, they roll out, in, you know, some innovations or what they look at as innovations recently, like Prime Wardrobe, which is, mm -hmm. you know, trying at home before you're buying. You know, Stitch Fix has a, a similar model. Um, I just, you know, I just wonder whether people in your position could see your brand meshing right with with a mass brand like that? I think what we, you know, what Reformation has right now is that we are direct to consumer and really the only place you can buy Reformation is from Reformation. So that's sort of where we're focused right now is maintaining that. Um, I think with Amazon, I read something about what Jeff Bezos says is that it takes them five years on an experiment. So when I saw Prime Wardrobe, I thought, okay, this is the beginning of that five years, right? I think that they're at such scale, it takes them a long time to get there. So wow. I would imagine in the next few years, we're going to see them making strides in fashion. You know, I, I think the key thing today, I, I think Yale is lucky she controls all the distribution of her product. I, I think that the future of the wholesale, wholesale businesses um, is, to, is to be more selective about your distribution. I think in the old days before the internet, um, the only way you could see merchandise was go to the store. I think now the internet has magnified uh, product so much that one has to be very careful as to, uh, you know, the, the breadth of distribution that you have. Mm -hmm. And I think the new model of wholesale, of, of picking and choosing your partners, being more important to them and letting them be more important to you is the name of the game. Are you, are you winnowing down your wholesale partners? You know, in different companies, I have different uh, different strategies. So, um, in some of the newer companies, definitely picking my partners, letting them be important to us, us being important to them, um, giving them an amount of competition that allows the sense of urgency for the product and you know the supply and demand to match up better. And when you when you say newer companies, sorry, you're talking about under under a theory umbrella, or are you talking about companies? Companies that I'm involved in and invested in. He's involved in a lot of companies. I'm involved <laughs> in lots of different things. Yeah. Got it. Um, are you worried about your department store partners? Um, you know, I think that obviously they've gone through quite a transformation. They haven't got to the bottom yet, and I think that um, when the smoke clears and the dust settles, there will be some formation of department store business left, it's not going to look like what it looks like now. We're clearly overstored right. and oversupplied. Right. Um, and they're aware of it. I mean, they're aware of it. I mean, they're getting more aware of it. I mean, for a long time, I think they <laughs> didn't believe it. Now, I think they at least come to the realization that that's a possibility. Do you get any feedback from, you know, executives at these companies when they see you in Stitch Fix or your brand on Amazon? Um, yeah, of course, I have conversations with them about that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think which, that, yeah. I, I, listen, um, I, I, I have to be able to decide the future of what's in the best interest of, of the brand, uh, you know, my, my brand, and I'm perfectly comfortable with making those decisions. You know, I'm not making those decisions because someone said you have to do it or don't have to do it. Uh, you know, I want to be able to make the decisions that I think are going to create relevance, importance, and reach for our, our, our products. Mm -hmm. uh, you, know, you mentioned earlier the 42-day window, I think, and Andrew's 41.9-day window. But in, in, no, seriously, 41. 41. 41. Seriously, um, is that, 
do you want to get that smaller or is that great right now? And how are you doing it? Is it, manu is it doing some manufacturing here in the US? Is it, what, what are the big challenges to shrinking that? So when, when we kind of set up the way the company works, what we did is traditional retail puts a lot of pressure on planning and inventory. Um, and I was sort of sick of that. And so, in, so we removed the pressure from planning and inventory and we placed it on supply chain. Um, and so what we have is our own factory. Uh, about 60% of our products are made in our own factory, so we can control the supply chain. Um, what oh, where, I, where is that? In LA. In LA. So, yeah, it's like with our office, we have our factory, so, you know, we can control it. Because one of the things that we found was it really only takes 10 days to cut and sew something. What you're doing with most supply chains is waiting in line. Got it. So we just took out the line. And the LA facility, how much more, is that more expensive than... Then if you, Overseas? You, yeah. I mean, it just depends, right? Like, av typical retail, let's just say it's six months, five months at the fastest if you want to make it overseas. Um, if we're making it in 42 days, we've sold it multiple times in the same amount of time that a typical retailer is selling it once. So if our cost is 5 or 10% more expensive, we're easily making more profits when we've sold it. So I, I wonder, you're, you're a venture-backed company, correct? Yes. And so I wonder what those conversations are like. Either, uh, I believe Andrew's actually an angel investor, so I don't know if he has an opinion on this. I don't this. know whether angel is the right description. <laughs> okay, okay. He's your devil investor. And um, uh, I w are those conversations with investors where, you know, you have to convince them that doing something in LA or stateside makes sense? Let me, I, I, I think it's, you know, I think investing in a company, we're investing, I'm investing in the company and the people that are running it and they make those decisions. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases I'm lucky because, you know, maybe I know something about it and they would ask me my opinion, but, you know, the company is going to succeed or fail based on Yale, so I think most of the people that invest in her company are really investing in her first and foremost. Thank you. Ven venture capitalists sometimes act like that and I sometimes our, don't. We have nice, we have wonderful investors, I would say, but for the most part, investors are like not concerned with operations and very much concerned with channel and marketing. So I would say 90% of our conversations revolve around that, right? They're, they're interested in growth. Yeah, they want to see growth and marketing. So let's talk about growth. You know, <laughs> when I, when I, um, excuse me, you know, years ago when I was covering this space, you know, let's go back two, three years, when I saw a digital first company open stores, I would think, oh, they hit a ceiling online, and now they're, they're being told this is, you know, this is what they need to do. Mm -hmm. um, what is the reason that you have stores? So we started with stores. Yep. We had three stores, and then we went online. Um, and then how, how far after that? Or is that the same? I started with stores thing? in 2009, and we went online at the end of 2013. Um, and then online grew really quickly, so we focused there, and then now we have returned to our roots in stores. I think basically when you're thinking about these direct-to-consumer businesses or venture back, like what we're concerned with is new customer acquisition. And so it's like, how do we acquire new customers? So typical ways are brand marketing, digital marketing, paid marketing, or retail marketing. And so depending on your business, you're looking at which ones are gonna be more, are gonna acquire the best customers, for the least amount of money. And so when you're seeing people open up a lot of retail, it's because probably they found out they get some really good customers from their retail stores and it's cheaper than paying Facebook. So can you, can you, <laughs> can, can you break down what, you know, 
what a customer looks like or how valuable a customer is for you that, that finds you through yeah. digital versus through retail? So we were just able to, in our new stores, we're able to now connect the data pretty seamlessly on our customers. So it's, it's really only like four or five months old. But what we have been seeing is that a customer that, that discovers us through retail is twice as valuable to us than a customer that finds us through um, e-commerce. And that's based on what type of metric? Is that like lifetime value or how do you look at um, the value? So, you know, because it's only five months, we usually look at our LT, our lifetime revenues through a 12 month. Okay. So we're kind of extrapolating based on their behavior in the beginning. So it's early, but you. But like, you know, early, early, but still double. And then I'm curious for both of your brands, how important social, you know, social channels are. So Instagram, Facebook to either brand marketing or new, you new really customer need to acquisition. Ask that question? Well, which one? <laughs> let's say which 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 ones for the, the theory brand? I'm curious are most valuable to you. Is is Insta, um, My yeah. assumption is Instagram it's a, is very Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. And this is about for both of you. It's about is it about brand marketing there? It's a combination of both. I, I yeah. I, mean, I think it's brand. Brand and product. I mean, yes. I, I think you have the ability to do both. I think mm -hmm. it's a powerful channel. Mm -hmm. And Andrew, you mentioned that um, you invest in a lot of co young companies. You also did something recently inside Theory around the 20th anniversary where you, 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 can ex you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you essentially got a group of young employees together to sort of reimagine what a Theory line would look like and the messaging would be like in 2017. Is that... Yeah, I what, mean, what was the idea uh, there? I, um, I guess a lot of people in my company were talking about the fact that we should celebrate 20 years of business. And I said, I don't want to celebrate 20 years of business. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. And um, I thought, well, what I wanted to do was um, get young people in our company to have more of a voice and be able to think about the next 20 years. And so um, I put a group of people together, three and four layers down, maybe 20 people, and they would have never had a voice in our company. They were working for the bosses, you know, whatever. And um, I knew, I, I, I mentored a lot of people outside the company and wanted to do that inside the company. And I asked them to come up with different initiatives that they w thought were relevant that the company should focus on. And um, they came up with a number of things and we ended up deciding on the fact that sustainability was one thing that was critically important. We decided that uh, women's leadership and entrepreneurship was important. Um, we would do a capsule collection geared toward younger people, almost as if we were starting theory all over again. And we did something called Theory for Good, which was allowing people that had bought theory clothes in the past to return them to our store and get credits against new clothes. And anyway, the, the, I broke them into, they then broke into pods and um, they, um, worked on the different initiatives, and it's been really incredibly successful. There's like four or five people on each one of the different initiatives working, and they brought a lot of new energy and excitement to our company. And um, the, actually, the capsule collection that we did um, is in six stores and our website, and we're running at the rate after two months of uh, a little over $3 million. Oh, that's so cool. It's really cool. And so and where, they're where having the opportunity, like they, you know, I tell them that this is an opportunity for you to learn how to start your own business. 
Now, and I push them a little harder. Than do that. you want this to be a one-time thing, or like, where, how do you make, how do you sort of keep that entrepreneurial I mean, I think drive? There are, there are two things. One, I think this capsule collection is something we're going to continue, um, and I'm really into that. Sustainability is obviously something that is critically important, and we're continuing, um, and we will add new dimensions to this as um, people come up with other ideas, and the company likes them. Okay. We have time for a couple of questions, if anyone has them. Otherwise, I can go for a few more minutes. Yeah, please just tell us who you are. Hey, my name is Dan. I work for a company called Stitch Labs. We help emerging brands manage their inventory. This question is for Andrew. Um, Andrew, you mentioned advising a lot of D2C brands. Uh, what signals or, or metrics are you looking for uh, when you know it might be time for a D2C brand to explore wholesale, selective wholesale partnerships to meet their growth objectives? And who do you see um, doing wholesale well that points back to a D2C core strategy? Um, you know, I, I think each comp every company has sort of a point in time that they need to, to diversify what they're doing. And to me, there's no formula for that. It's just that at certain points in time, you understand you have to diversify your distribution, you have to go international, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And as I say, it's just something that one has a feel for. I mean, there is an art to the business as well as the science. Um, in terms of who I think is doing it well in retail today, I mean, look at what Kith is doing, look at what Supreme is doing. I think a lot of these younger companies that have emerged off of po popular culture I mean, it's amazing. I mean, they own sports, they own music. Um, they just are totally plugged into what's, what's relevant in the lifestyle today. I mean, you know, it used to be we talked about Barney's or Bergdorf's, this, this department store, that department store. I don't think it's part, necessarily part of the equation when we talk about who, what exciting retailers do we see. That doesn't mean that those guys aren't doing a lot of good work. I think they are doing a lot of good work, and I think that a lot of these stores are in the process of reinventing themselves. A lot of the department stores are reinventing themselves, and I think there's going to be a lot of energy and excitement out of the Barneys and the Bergdorfs and, and, and Nordstrom's and so on of the world. But really what's making the noise right now are retail companies that are less than five years old. I think that's where all the action is, some of the websites that way. Um, you know, a company like Reformation didn't exist, really was not part of the equation three years ago. If we have another one, otherwise I'll keep going. Um, Andrew, one thing I forgot to mention is your company um, has been owned for quite a while by uh, Fast Retailing, a uh, parent company of Uniglow. You're still running Deary. They must be a good owner, or what, why? You know, you, you obviously have a lot of interest in young companies. I mean, so I'm curious why you're why you're no, still where you are. It's, it's unusual because I sold um, most of my company 15 years ago, and all of the company about 11 years ago. And um, uh, the reason is that uh, Misty and I, who is the founder and uh, CEO of Fast Retailing, is an incredibly um, inspiring guy, he's an incredible visionary, and um, you know he and I have a, a, a relationship that um, really works. And it is very unusual that a, a founder would um, would leave 
would sell his business and stay on as long as I have, but I really enjoy my work. I'm inspired by it, and I think Misty and I likewise appreciates and inspire, inspired by some of the things I do. I mean, we don't always agree on things, but I think that that you know he has a methodology that's slightly different than mine, being a ver mass vertical retailer. But he's, I learn a lot from him, and it's very, as I say, it's very inspiring. And I think as long as um, I, he has something to offer me, and I have something to offer him. It's an amazing relationship. Great. One, one last quick question, please. Um, so, Theory is obviously a massive company. You guys have, I think you're doing a billion dollars in revenue. Reformation also very quickly growing. Um, my question is, given that the barrier to entry for starting a brand in this day and age is so low, and there's so many niches that are being very connectively captured by a lot of these upstart brands. How do you maintain the growth and how do you run a very large at-scale brand and continue to stay relevant to all these niches that um, new and upstart brands are speaking to? Listen, today is no different than it was 20 years ago when I started. There was a lot of guys trying to start their business and some of them were good and some of them weren't. The ones that were good um, succeeded and survived and most of them don't. Um, it's a competitive landscape and at the end of the day the concept that you have and the product that you create and how you make it, how it fits, how it feels is the difference that separates the winners from the losers. Yeah. Um, I think, well, you're one of those in yeah, Sort of. I think, I think when you start a business, you know, product and price is you know, the key differentiator and um, when you're bigger it's easier to have a better product and a better price, I would say. So. It, while it appears that there's a lot of people entering, it's still very difficult to, to get to a certain point. Great. All right. That's all the time we have, unfortunately. Thanks so much, yeah. Thanks, yeah. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Remember to leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay, and be sure to check out our other podcasts. Every Monday, I host Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. On Thursdays, you can hear Recode Media, in which Peter Kafka interviews the smartest and most interesting people in the media world. And on Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. You can find all these shows and more at recode.net or wherever you listen to your podcasts.